to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 14 for August 19th, 2008. The last show was kind of fundraising focused, so this week we're going back to our roots, social networking. But before we get rolling, I'd like to introduce today's panel. Coming in from Australia, we have Steve McLaughlin, Director of Internet Solutions. Hey, Steve. Hey, Chad. How are you? I am doing fine. How is tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow is great. great. Uh, and yesterday was very good as well. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, if there's anything we should know, please pass it along. We also have Melian Malonis here on the panel. Um, she is manager of public relations here at Blackbot. Your last show before you become Mrs. Melanie Mathos. Yes. I'm going to have to get a new uh, code name. I'll math maybe. That's true. <laughs> you can find Melanie at blackbot.com slash blackbotnews or twitter.com slash melmilo. Uh, new to the show today, we have Chris Clark joining us from upstairs. He's a software engineer, too. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Chad. Um, I think you're the first developer we've had on the, the cast, which is nice. That uh, let you out of the cave. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Hopefully the bits and bites will be fine while you're gone. It's sunny down here. Yes. Maybe, it may be the last as well. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. We will see. Um, all right, which is kind of cool because we have someone on the line that's actually using your product. Um, Garrett Keating, the senior web developer from the United States Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation in Annapolis, Maryland. Hey, Chad. What's up? Hey, Chad. How you doing? Uh, doing well. Yes. Anything? Good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything going on in Annapolis these days? Uh, no, nah, not really. That's, yeah. <laughs> you don't hear much about Annapolis these days, yeah. It's probably a good thing. Right. <laughs> All right, and joining us for the first time, we have Danielle Brigida, the Associate Operations Coordinator for the National Wildlife Federation. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Hey, thanks, Chad. Um, I saw, you know, I wrote down your title, but I, I didn't really, uh, I also wrote down social media goddess and uh, Ranger Rick alter ego. I mean, you do so many amazing things there. So I'm really glad to have you on the show. <laughs> Well, thanks. <laughs> um, you can find uh, Danielle at nwf.org or twitter.com slash starfocus. Now that the introductions are passed, I thought I'd just get rolling right into some uh, content. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about just social networking in general today since we have this really great group. So kind of kick it off, I thought I'd bring up sort of BlackBot Net Community 5.5 again. We've talked about this a little bit. It sort of has a big focus on social networking. That functionality was really baked into this um, release, specifically about like page sharing groups and things like that. Um, Steve, can you give us just a brief overview once again about just specifically the page sharing and the groups functionality? Sure, be happy to. Um, with with NetCommunity 5.5, we try to take a, a pretty broad approach of looking at different areas across the product where um, we can sprinkle in some, some Web 2.0 stuff, but also uh, do some deeper social networking functionality. And um, the approach that we took was to look at where are there are lots of potential contact points along the way. So one example is page sharing, nothing new, been around for quite a long time, the whole notion of going to a page, forward this page by email, but we kind of added the, the Web 2.0 secret sauce to it, which is to say, you know, I also may want to post that page to Facebook or put it on Dig or Delicious, and, you know, that it sort of makes the notion of just emailing a page to someone, um, you know, not as broad or comprehensive. You know, you email to somebody, it's it's a one-to-one relation versus I post it on Dig, I post it to my Facebook page, potentially I've got a much broader audience of people who could potentially see it. And, and I think that's one of the common themes about all the things we've been doing around social networking is trying to increase the reach 
of individual constituents to a broader set to help draw them into what the what a nonprofit's doing. Now, I want to talk to Chris a little bit about then. So, what it was like actually building this stuff. I mean, specifically, I know you um, sort of the software sort of designed probably by a different team. But I want to know how much of your own like experiences with social networking have you been able to sort of fold into the fray and, and sort of uh, steer the product, if any? Well, definitely the first step was to go out and assess exactly what the other offerings in the Web 2.0 social networking space were and then decide how much of that we wanted to bring into our own product and how much uh, we wanted to extend BBNC's functionality into those uh, products. And there was a lot of decision-making around that. And ultimately, we decided that we could... Uh, well, or we could best serve our, our customers in the nonprofit community by building a social network from the ground up that was designed to serve the needs of of our client base. And so, by baking our own social networking features into the RE backend, into the into the existing BBNC functionality, uh, we feel that we've come up with sort of a, a new social networks that'll really let nonprofits leverage their own network of people to increase their reach, uh, to fundraise more, and to just simply get people more excited and more involved with their organizations, both online and offline. Right. Now, Danielle, um, sort of, you know, you've done a lot of really amazing work as far as like, you know, sharing content around the web and everything. How important do you think it is to have this sort of stuff baked into an actual like content management system where you can actually have a share this on Facebook, share this on Dig button sort of built in? I mean, do you have that at your org or and would that help? Um, that would help tremendously. <laughs> no, we don't, actually. I mean, really what what's happened is I've kind of put a system in place for myself, but as far as having, like, data kind of go through and actually get that recorded, that would be wonderful. Right. So I think it would be very important um, having it built into RE or right. something right. so that we can actually have it on the constituent record. You know, it's one thing I was thinking about leading up to the show was sort of that, I mean, clearly it's important for nonprofits to share their content. I just sort of was wondering if, uh, you know, you work for a really big nonprofit that has a really great, you know, national uh, brand recognition. I was kind of wondering if, like, content that, you know, small nonprofits are producing, will it have as wide of an appeal? Meaning, you know, will this sort of functionality help them as much as an organization that's your size? You know, I do. I think more and more the smaller orgs will have success with niche marketing more so. Um, I've noticed that we have, you know, a kind of a side site called Green Hour, and it does really well not on Dig, but on Curtsy, the the female kind of Dig. Um, It's gotten popular a couple times, and we've only tested it out a few times. So, I mean, I think with smaller orgs that have more specific content, they'll do really well. They just have to be kind of aiming the bar a little bit. Not lower, but more specific. <laughs> right. So now, what about that? Yeah. Tra- what about that traffic that comes through? I was sort of in a uh, intent office hours chat the other day, and we got on this subject, and people were sort of talking about how sometimes the traffic from these uh, social news sites aren't as sticky. Have you noticed anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, when we get a dig to go popular, we'll get a, a huge burst of traffic, and I try not to look at that too much. Or, I mean, I, I present it because it's really astounding, but I don't necessarily like say this is what matters because what matters is that the more eyes that see your your space you know simple mathematics the more people are going to actually become members become you know interested in what you're talking about but with the the smaller sites it's great because you've got people staying on longer less bounce rate and i think they they do transfer over more i've noticed like with curtsy again i think we only got about 150 page views to green hour from it but Four people blogged about it, nice. and I'm pretty positive that they picked it up from Curtsy. So, right. now we you know we mentioned earlier uh, Chris and Steve. You talked about um, 
that, you know, Facebook and Delicious and I think Dig, are they specifically built in? Like, are there other services as well? I mean, I've seen a lot of people using, you know, like Mix and StumbleUpon and, and even Yahoo Buzz now. What is the range of services that are that are available? Well, we've, in, we've included a bunch of stuff. I think the challenge from a software standpoint is there's always going to be something new and, you know, popular and ebbs and flows, and, and that's always going to be a challenge for us. I think um, the thing that we were smart about from the get-go about all of this is building in a certain amount of extensibility so that if we want to add or remove different social network sites, things like that over time, and give, more importantly, the customer an option, you know, because it sounds like depending on which, you know, macro market or micro market you're going after, there may be better social media sites that you want to try and promote your cause to or the things that you're trying to do. So we've also built in the ability for you to turn on and turn off things. And I'm sure, you know, in the next couple of releases, we'll add some and we'll move some around. And I will find out about a whole bunch more I didn't know about from Chad and a bunch of other people who follow this really closely. So it should be interesting. Yeah, and as, as Steve just touched on, there is an extensibility uh, framework around BBNC, and the API supports the creation of uh, custom parts. So with relatively little uh, development knowledge, you can actually go out and create a custom part that could serve up page sharing links to whatever whatever Web 2.0 service you wanted. And in fact, we actually created one of those parts as, as a custom part, and it's available on uh, BlackBot Labs. And I think Garrett actually has taken it and reworked it and is using it up there at Navy. Yeah, that, that is correct. Uh, we um, we jumped on that when it first was released on Labs, and um, we've added our own um, choices of which uh, social networks you can bookmark uh, a particular page to. We've also added a, a print this page functionality, as well as an email this page functionality, which as last I heard was not something that was in the, the Base 5.5 product. Um, I, I might be mistaken there. And in addition to that, we've also written in the notes field of a constituent that does bookmark a page, so we know who's bookmarking what and where. So we, we've seen with those metrics, and I don't have specifics on them, but we've seen it. the general trend is a small number of very active users, at least in our case, and it probably varies between organizations. But so we'll have a, a handful of very active people bookmarking frequently. And 5.5 does actually support the email functioning functionality natively, okay. but the custom part doesn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ours does. Yeah. <laughs> now, Garrett, are you you're, uh, are you running this live yet? Yeah, it's on it's on USNA.com right now. Okay, We've had it up for probably about I'd say six to eight months. Gotcha. Hopefully. All right. No, I meant uh, the five five stuff. Oh, version five five. We are not live within production yet. Okay, that's um, what I thought. We're running running preliminary testing right now and working through the laborious task of converting over our custom parts to work with uh, right. new, the new Ajax control toolkit that's in, in there as well as uh, the updated BBNC extensions so that we can uh, get at the, the new API. Um, so that's, we're testing, we're converting and testing now and we hope sometime mid-September probably to be up and running in production with 5.5. Okay, that makes sense. Have you guys sort of started to plan on how you're going to use the functionality to support uh, sort of your social media strategy yet or are you sort of just waiting to get it installed and up and running? Initially, yeah, we'd like to just get it installed and up and running. With the amount of customizations we have, an upgrade is always a, a big deal for us. Right. So we want to at least get 5.5 in place, and then we can start um, looking, you know, sort of officially at social networking. Um, personally, though, I've played with it, and I've seen, obviously, a couple of demos that Blackwood has put on, and um, we're really excited about it. Uh, it's definitely something we've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, so now the question just becomes how how do we really want to utilize it, and... Um, should be hopefully we planned to have something at least in the works before the end of the year but 
you know how time time uh, frames can go. Yeah, absolutely. Staying on the same topic, I kind of want to get into sort of uh, what I was calling sort of build it or borrow it. Basically, the theory that when it comes down to it, nonprofits need to factor in their to their social media strategy whether or not they want to build a social network on their own website or sort of leverage existing social networks like Facebook to engage their followers there. I kind of want to get everybody's take on this. So this is just uh, this question is open to the panel. Um, Nonprofits decide um, which strategy is best for them. Sort of, do they do they build it or do you borrow it? I think one of the one of the things that we encountered when we were building this, as we were getting reactions from different people, is that as we were building Facebook integration, people said, well, I don't, I don't want to drive traffic from my site to Facebook. I'm scared of losing visitors to another site. But uh, I think we've, we've thought about it, and that's sort of not the right approach. I mean, Web 2.0 is all about sharing users and getting users to generate content and is getting as many eyeballs on your content as possible, regardless of where that content is living. So uh, I think that I think that the the cohabitation aspect of the social networks is, is definitely, it's sort of inherent to the social networks. There's activity between social networks, and I think that's healthy and will let your network grow organically. And I agree with that 100%. Our, our policy sort of moving forward, um, as we establish it a little bit more firmly, will be cohabitation wherever we can. It's, you can't compete with Facebook, so you really want to leverage strong aspects of your organization. In our case, it's obviously the database with Facebook. They have the people there. So, you know, some type of tight integration between the two is exactly what we're looking for. I don't think we would be, I don't think National Wildlife Federation would have half as many people interested um, if we weren't using the current tools. Um, I mean, if we decide to create a community, that's one thing, but we'll be using tools we've been kind of borrowing. Right. And that was, I was going to kind of ask you specifically, um, you know, at nwf.org, it wasn't, you know, clear that there was like a major community there, but I, as most of us here in the room know, you've done extensive work, you know, sort of in these sort of borrow it field. So I was going to kind of ask you what your sort of spread was there and if you were doing anything on your own site. Um, I mean, there has been talk of kind of creating an, an activist-based community, and there it's something that I really want to make sure we actually have the community to back it up before trying something like this. And I think I think it's possible. I I've loved the people I've encountered on Facebook and MySpace. I mean, they've just been really enthusiastic and really supportive. I am nervous anytime someone recommends that we start a social network or try something like that because it is just another beast to kind of manage. Whereas, you know, I mean, I have issues with kind of creating another NWF on Facebook. I think that it's not really ideal, but if people are there and, and that's where they're going to interact, I want to meet them there. But I am nervous about kind of creating a, our own community. So I, I want to make sure we back it with people who are live and want to partake in it. Right, and that's right. certainly the million-dollar question here. I mean, even Alan Benner blogged about this release, and it specifically brought up questions about that, about, you know, will the users show up, and if so, can the organization provide enough content? I mean, and that sparked, I think, 18 comments on this blog. I think that the key thing is you've got to get to a certain amount of, of critical mass to be able to get it to work. And and certainly starting off with the borrow approach is perfectly fine. I mean, you know, lots of orgs do that, and it can work. And not to mention the fact that you can borrow a lot of this stuff at little to no cost, you know, except for obviously the, the time and, and resources that you put into it, but there's not a, a major technology Investment and you can experiment. And you can figure out what works and what doesn't, and what sites are more receptive to your message and the things that you're trying to promote. I think what we've found, and from talking to a lot of organizations, is that when you make that next leap, which is to pull people 
from a social media site, whatever it happens to be, and back into your own site, you do have to have you know a, a certain amount of compelling content or or the ability to have some compelling interaction because you've you've engaged with these people, you've gotten them excited, you want to then pull them in. You've got to have something for them to um, engage on, and I think what a lot of nonprofits would find is. It may not be every constituent group that you're always – your best bet is always to target some specific constituent groups. So it could be activists. It could be volunteers. Um, it could be you know uh, people who are members, whatever it happens to be. And it may not necessarily be major donors or you know getting into those categories, but I think if you were to target specific constituent groups and really focus on – extending the relationship with those groups then you've got a chance but there's the old adage that if you, you know, try and be all things to all people um, you'll end up being nothing to anybody and, and that's the, the real danger with setting out and doing this stuff yeah I mean I also think that you know a lot of what I've heard on our side of things is oh we want them to do this or oh we want them to do that and I think if your community is going to work you've got to be serving them you know um, I think that's the biggest thing with Web 2.0 that people kind of miss the the whole part is that, well, does a group of people who are loyal to NWF really want to sign on to another community to kind of be a part of that? And if they do, then that's wonderful, and then we're providing them what we should be providing them, which is, you know, the content they want and stuff like that. But if we're just creating it because, you know, to serve a program need or to serve, you know, our own kind of, like, idea of things, then or because it's cool, then, you know, we may not have the kind of follow. I mean, I just want to make sure that constituents or, like, the people I talk to are actually would benefit from it and not just kind of feel like they were getting NWF spam. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, it sounds like, yeah, that seems to yeah. be the theory is, you know, creating a, uh, a place that makes sense for your supporters, right, rather than just doing something that makes sense for you. <laughs> exactly. And I think the... The current networks that are popping up all over the place, like I'm into and all the and friend feed and stuff like that, is they're filtering places everyone is already a member of. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think that the fact that you guys are using, you know, delicious and things already, and and incorporating that with your database is awesome because, you know, that's a way to actually bring back our like and judge return. So, it's great. That's a good question you bring up about. Um sort of measuring things in the whole ROI aspect because that's usually the second or third question that everybody asks after what is this and should I be doing it they always then ask well what's what's the ROI and um, you know then you know it gets into some some potentially nebulous conversations around what are you measuring what are you trying to get out of it as with all these things you have to have a strategy to start with and figure out at the end of this initiative what will we have achieved is it we have more people reading our e-newsletter. We've got more traffic coming to our website. We have more people um, taking polls and surveys. We have more people acting on an action alert for an advocacy piece. You know, if you outlie those, then a lot of the other pieces can can fall into place. And then measuring ROI, I think, gets a little bit easier because you've established um, um, what your what your goal is and and how you may want to measure some of those things. Yeah, I think getting to those kind of metrics is really going to be the key over the next few years to really understanding the impact of everything we've been doing for the last, you know, um, 24 months, sort of with all the social networking. So 
That should be interesting. Um, and I think part of that, too, is going back to we're all supposed to be listening more and, like you said, tying this to our data, tying Facebook and Delicious and Dig Data to your supporters and being able to sort of filter that and, and see what cross-sections of uh, your supporters are doing is going to be really powerful once we can figure out how to harness that. So. Looking at, like, Facebook and sort of talking about sort of existing social networks, sort of the, um, the borrow approach again, I was kind of wanting to get if you guys had any good examples of people that are doing it well. Like, uh, for instance, the Nature Conservancy always springs to mind to me. I mean, Jonathan Coleman's doing an amazing job both with um, getting money through to causes and with a little green patch. Um, have you guys have any good examples of other people that are using Facebook or any other social networks well? I think Facebook is very much a lucky, lucky game. Right. <laughs> I, I think certain certain organizations do really well and NWF certainly hasn't done poorly it's just that they're like we haven't partnered with anyone like Nature Conservancy and we don't really have cute dogs like Humane Society so <laughs> we've got wolves and we've got Ranger Rick Polar Bear and Ranger Rick <laughs> but Ranger Rick was interesting because I think he actually didn't get any attention until he got kicked off right I know I know <laughs> got a ton of attention but really not it was more just a question of what you know what should Facebook do? Yeah, I but, know. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that certain groups are, are doing it well just by having an active conversation. I mean, I think sometimes people are looking for return and they're not actually measuring the negative return, which I think, you know, if your group isn't doing very well on Facebook, maybe that means it's not the audience for you. And right. that's all the return you need to kind of move on. That's, I don't know. that's a great point. I mean, I was even reading this uh, this post from Holly at Intent uh, a couple weeks ago and um, talking about respect. It was basically a post about how online social networks are not mailing lists, which is great advice, of course. Um, at the end, she talks about a little bit about a couple things that worked well using a social network at their site, um, citing Office Hours and the NTC Sprout widget. But then also um, showed how her Facebook group, you know, was sort of failing. And that was in her own words, um, but that they were working on it. So, again, that's a very tech-savvy group that um, doesn't seem to be getting the traction on Facebook. So, like you said, it is kind of lucky and hit or miss whether or not you succeed. Well, I think a lot of arts and culture organizations are doing really well. Uh, A lot of museums are doing kind of online jury shows or uh, art sharing, like Brooklyn Museum. They have about 1,000 people using their art share on Facebook. So if you can engage them and get them to upload images and kind of engage them in that way instead of just, hey, put this fun application on your site. I think that's a little more compelling to actually have useful, interesting things. Yeah, I mean, content is still king. I don't I don't think that's ever going to get replaced. What we've freed up, almost what Chris was talking about, is one of the great things about Web 2.0 is it frees you up of the number of places where you can publish content and people can consume and get access to that content. It doesn't all have to be on your website. It can be on multiple places. But that that content itself still has to be pretty compelling. I mean, it has to be something that you're worth reading or looking at or watching photos or watching a video. Um, You know, if you post a very dull and boring and non-exciting video, you shouldn't be really surprised that not too many people read about it, comment about it, and forward it on to their friends. So ultimately, I think that's... um, some, you know, those rules still apply uh, to what you're doing. You made the comment about the the mailing list thing, where um, yeah, Facebook has not then become your de facto mailing list because you've got 500 friends. Right. 
And there's a great quote from the the guy, uh, Michael Gilbert. He wrote, uh, the genuine respect that is the key to success takes this form. First, use your resources to build community, and only secondarily use community to build your resources. So I think the idea of like not using this community to just you know ask for cash, right? I th- I think that's you know that's the thing that um, a lot of nonprofits still have to kind of drink the Kool Aid on social networking. Is I think a lot of orgs look at it as oh, so this is just like direct mail, except it's online, and I could just send messages to these people that. Um, no, it's a different medium. There's different rules. There's a different set of do's and don'ts. And just because someone decides to be your friend doesn't mean you send them, you know, 25 emails a week or a month or whatever happens to be. There's there's a different sort of um, social networking etiquette that's in play that I think is very different than the etiquette of direct mail or telephone or email just because of the, the nature of it. Um, you know, it's it's not just the same old thing all over again. Uh, you know, every time I, I think about messaging the group, I think about how many of my friends I've recruited to be on it, and I'm like, will they just, you know, get annoyed with me if I'm messaging them? And I think, I mean, that has worked well for us, so kind of guard them. Right. I think in that regard, we've tried to be fairly prescriptive with our take on the social network in uh, in five five. It's not set up so that you can. It's not designed to go through and harvest email lists and uh, send people email. It is designed around um, building a community, and it comes with a great set of defaults out of the box. We spent a long time not just building the thing, but figuring out what preferences and what kind of what kind of settings around a social network would be most useful for a profit organization. And uh, really thinking about this and making it a pres- prescriptive solution that that'll build community and that people will find useful as a tool to help them in their fundraiser to stay in touch with their friends and to promote advocacy for your organization i'm i'm really interested to see you know with you guys recording how people are are sharing information how they compare to like normal activists or if they're different a different group of than people that just kind of click action or i mean that's that's really interesting information to me yeah i think that'll be interesting for us too i mean this is the first real cut that uh, a nonprofit technology company has taken at really building a, a true social network. So we're going to learn from this experience and be able to come back in the, in the next version of BBNC with a solution that's even more tailored for, for the nonprofit world and hopefully be able to, to learn from that kind of data and, and build an even better solution. I'd also add that I think in a lot of ways, we don't know all the ways in which people will use this stuff. And you know, for for some for some software shops, that would drive them crazy. Um, for us, we think that's the cool part. We, we're sure that someone's going to do something with this. It's like, wow, you know, we never thought of using it for that. But if that works really well, awesome. Let's talk about that. Let's see, you know, how you chose to use that. So I think, um, you know, that's one of the exciting parts about all this is how will people use it in some different ways for some different groups to to get results. I don't think there's a magical formula where everyone will use it the same way and it'll work the same way for everyone. Steve, we did get a question for you via Twitter. Um, Uh Let me get it. (laughs) (laughs) So the question for you, Steve, comes from Mark Pittman, and it is this. Um, What are the differences and similarities with philanthropy down under versus North America? Assuming you've noticed, assuming you've picked it all up in the last three or four days. No, um, (laughs) it's a great question. So I'm I'm in Sydney, Australia, for the next couple of days here. Blackbaud has 
uh, an Asia-Pacific customer conference down here. So presenting at that and meeting with a bunch of other clients. And, and one of the things I've been doing uh, in the past couple of days that I've been here is talking with different customers down here and really just trying to understand what I thought I knew about um, fundraising in this region of the world versus what it's really like. And um, it's interesting because here there are a lot of similarities to fundraising in Europe and the U.K., but there's also a lot of similarities to fundraising that we see in North America. It's almost like a mashup of styles. And so what we see is a combination of a lot of non-for-profits here doing a lot of fundraising around recurring gifts, which is uh, the whole, a very popular theme in both the U.K. and in Europe. You know, I'm going to give you know, $5 a month for the rest of my life or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And some of these orgs have hundreds of thousands of recurring um, donations. And so it's a very stable, predictable part of what they do from a fundraising perspective. But um, they're also adopting more of a focus on doing things around major giving because um, the trend, I think, that that's being seen probably worldwide is – um, if you've used direct mail, direct marketing efforts, those donors are starting to taper off a little bit. And for a lot of organizations that use direct mail or direct marketing to drive recurring donors, it's getting more competitive. Or there are people who don't renew that recurring gift after a certain amount of time, right? The, the traditional acquisition process is not working as efficiently. And they look at things like major giving and they say, wow, you know, what could we do to not only take maybe somebody who's been a recurring donor for many, many years and we know some additional information about them, maybe through some wealth screening or some donor modeling, let's pursue a major gift or a bequest or something else from them. And and that's the big thing I think I've picked up in the, in the past couple of days here is how they, there's almost a hybrid approach to fundraising down here where they're combining a lot of things around um, traditional recurring gift fundraising as a big driver for things and combination with more focus on on major gift programs and um, and obviously because of the geography here and you know distances between things the online piece is really important to a lot of these organizations right because if I if a, a not-for-profit and I'm located here in Sydney but I may have constituents that are a couple hours away in Melbourne or on you know, in Perth on the other side of Australia, or I've got constituents who maybe went to my college or university who are now in Singapore or Japan or Hong Kong or New Zealand. So with those geography things going on, the Internet becomes a big part of how they want to interact with people. All right. So are you speaking at the conference in the next couple of days? Or are you doing uh, one of your sessions? Or are you doing something uh, that is sort of keyed up for the Australian market? The conference is Thursday and Friday of this week, which would be um, – I'm so confused by what day it is. Uh, it's that would be tomorrow, right. Thursday and Friday of this week is when the conference is. Okay, cool. So we've got a bunch of presentations going on. Right. It should be fun. All right, good. All right, well, uh, Melanie. Speaking of Blackbot things and Blackbot conferences, do you have any uh, Blackbot news you'd like to let our listeners in on? So early next week, I will be recording a Blackbot interviews podcast with the CEOs of Blackbot and Cantera, Mark Chardon and Rich LaBarbera, to update on the Cantera acquisition and to answer questions from our listeners. So if you have a question, please send it to the podcast at blackbot.com or post it on the Blackbot news blog at blackbot.com/blackbotnews. And Blackbot was in the news recently when CNBC featured the company in a segment called Go With the Innovators. It profiled five companies that are focused on the next big thing. Uh, so let's go to the clip where Morningstar analyst Michael Tien talks about Blackbot. 
All right, we'll go with the innovators. That's what our next guest says. He's here with five great companies. He says are at great prices for investors to cash in. Michael Tian is equity analyst with Morningstar and a new face to CNBC. Michael, we appreciate your taking the time. And I know that Thanks, you've taken the time to go through here and get five companies that are, that are quote-unquote innovators. So uh, they're basically coming up with the next big thing. So without further ado, let us get straight to them. Let me ask you this. Who is Blackboard? I've never heard of them. Right. This is, a, this is a, quite a small company. Uh, they are also a software company. They are basically the industry standard in creating uh, CRM software for nonprofit organizations. It's called Razor's Edge, and it is by far the largest player in the industry. And it's a similar story to all of that. They have tons of switching costs, and their customers have something like a 96% retention rate from year to year. It's also on the front page of Yahoo Financial. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we're really excited to be featured as one of the innovators um, through Morningstar. And we also recently participated in a Today interview that should be coming out soon that is taking an in-depth look at how the economy is affecting fundraising, something that inevitably comes up every episode. Um, It will be interesting to read this special report and also to see how these hypotheses bode with the latest information from Target Analytics, upcoming uh, index of national fundraising performance that will be released in the fall. And in addition to the index, Blackboard is currently conducting a fifth annual State of the Nonprofit Industry Survey. The survey gathers important data so nonprofits can benchmark and grow their organizations. It is live through September 12th and can be accessed on the homepage at blackbaud.com. And one lucky participant will win a laptop. So be sure to get your info in for the survey and you'll be one of the first people to see the results also. All right. That was fantastic. (laughs) And Chad, you'll you'll be glad to know I'm looking out my hotel window here. And I can see a three-story Apple store here oh. in Sydney from my view here. Nice. And uh, I was out walking the other morning, and there were people already lined up at 7 a.m. So um, interesting. they've got that Apple bug over here, too, apparently. <laughs> I visited the old Genius Bar the other day, and it was actually pretty pleasant <laughs> right. compared to normal uh, troubleshooting. Yeah, the store downtown here is not bad. It's nice to have one. Yeah, and they have cool furniture. Yes. <laughs> I did hear this week that uh, Quick is coming to the iPhone, but uh, you have to jailbreak it, though, so that's unfortunate. Anyway, so Garrett, you've been awful quiet. Uh, there's some social thing news we could talk about. AOL buyout. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. That's, uh, I hope uh, that's a good thing. Um, you know, social thing has been a, a sort of a very innovative uh, product. Big you call it a product. Um, obviously, AOL sees some value in that so I'd, I'd be interested to see where that goes I'm, I'm definitely a social thing fan yeah so. you are You're, you seem to be in it all the time I mean I've liked them from the beginning but uh, one thing I've really noticed in this last couple of revs is that they've been adding in some, some sort of basic filtering which is still sorely lacking from almost every social network you know you can sort of color code your friends and you can sort of uh, turn it, you can sort of customize which feeds you're seeing of theirs and uh I think that's a really cool step in the right direction. I'd still like to be able to tag all my friends a- across all these social networks and sort them into groups, but, uh, you know, a boy can dream, right? I'm sure it'll come along at some stage. So. Right. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get on that next week. Uh, <laughs> what else do we have? Anything else anybody wants to talk about? Got any shout-outs? Uh, Danielle, what do you guys have going on that you'd like to plug while, while you're on the line? Um, well, we're actually we're, we're going to have an event called Make Tracks on Columbus Day weekend. It should be fun. It's encouraging people to find an, uh, a hiking place or kind of a park near you and kind of get out and spend time with wildlife, maybe from afar. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're hoping to kind of 
push that around. It's just nwf.org slash make tracks, and it's it's a neat idea. Get people outside. Yeah, you guys come up with you guys come up with the best stuff. I, I told you uh, I think when we talked that one time about uh, I want about participating in sort of that backyard camp off. <laughs> what do you, what is that? Yeah, yeah. that what a great program! I mean, just to get people out camping, even if it's in your backyard, right? Yeah, it was fun too. I did it, and it was so hot, but it was right. fun. <laughs> nice, good, uh, Garrett. What do you have uh, going on up there? We have um, basically we're gearing up for the school year, so it's been a pretty, you know, or a slower time of the year for us recently. But um, that's all about to change. Um, got heavy into the reunion registration time of the year, so we're seeing a lot of people signing up for that. And uh, of course, we are uh, preparing for the uh, football season. And uh, got a lot of tailgates that uh, people are also beginning to sign up for. So it's the qu- sort of the calm before the storm. So good. Hopefully that won't last too much longer. But and how did your um, your event go? Was it a, it was a Blackbot user group? Oh yeah, the, the user group we had. Um, I guess that was about three weeks ago. Yeah. It had we had um, Michael Sola, who was on uh, one of the previous podcasts from CBF, was there. Um, he spoke about Facebook, um, social networking, um, sort of some of the things you need to think about and be concerned about um, before we sort of jump into that. Um, that was a great presentation. Uh, we also had um, Free Cause up there uh, for a, about an hour and a half long presentation about their product. And um, yeah, and I spoke about uh, some of the integrate some of the customizations that uh, we're doing with Net Community. And uh, there was a lot of uh, Blackboard clients in the area that also attended. So it was a Good little two-day conference. Uh, Army was obviously there too, um, which just seems to be the tradition. So it's a lot of fun. We had a good time. All right. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add? I'd like to say that we've learned a lot doing this uh, about Web 2.0 stuff. In case you can't tell, we have an active Twitter community here at BlackBod, um, and as well as Idea Bank, which is something that we up in products like to read uh, from time to time, and nice we do actually, yeah, we do actually check it out. So if you haven't seen it before. Uh, I believe the website is blackbodnetcommunity.uservoice.com, which is our idea bank, and there you can vote on ideas that other people have submitted or ideas yourself for future revisions of the product. And we always like to, to look over those and take them into account and under consideration as we develop new features. Great. All right. That does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Steve McLaughlin, Melanie Malonis, Chris Clark, Garrett Keating, and Danielle Brigida. If any of you listeners have feedback, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbod.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Feedback going on. I don't know if you guys are all hearing it as well. Yeah. Some, some Max Headroom stuff. But <laughs> the remix. Kind of a troubleshoot that. I mean, I hear that on, you know, big podcasts like Twitch and stuff, too, so I'm not too concerned It's legit. That. You know, you need, you can't be completely perfect people. Absolutely. They think we have like a big studio set up or something here. What was it? Uh, there was the whole Seth Godin thing from the other day, the, the sort of gloss, the higher the gloss, the less authentic something is. Right. And a little bit of rough scratchiness. Right. Rough around the edges, yeah. Well, yeah. someone suggested to me on Twitter to stop editing out all the ums and ahs, and I started doing that a few shows ago, and I think it actually made a difference. How true is it with nonprofits, too? I mean, we want a free web redesign for the nonprofit I work with, and make it look too nice now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to make it look like we spent a bazillion dollars. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you make it look organic and smell like vegetables? <laughs>